Hi, I'm recovering DIY musician Burn Bridges, and welcome to This Song Ruined My Life, where I sit down with friends old and new to discuss songs, bands, and other musical phenomena that have taken over our singular or collective worlds. Before we get started, I want to let everyone know that content warnings for each episode are listed in the show notes. Today, we're discussing Saddle Creek band Bright Eyes, and in particular, the album Fevers and Mirrors, and a little bit about Connor Oberst himself. With no further ado, let's get into it. Hey, hey, welcome to an episode of The Song in My Life. Uh, the podcast is basically the audio equivalent of that alternative music scene that still collects dust in your bathroom. You know, the one in the wicker basket that you thumb through and look at grainy photos without reading it. Uh, my guest today is a DIY warlock and a seven-time daytime enemy nominee in the category of lead credits typist. You may know them from living in the same house as me. It's Esther. Hi, Esther. Hello. I did not know I'm any of those things, <laughs> except living with you. You're not a DIY warlock. I don't know. Am I? Possibly. <laughs> hey, your your uh, your agent sent the text over. I don't know what to, <laughs> I'll have to take it up with them. I don't know what to do for you. <laughs> I just work here, okay? Great. Uh, how are you doing today? This is uh, the first podcast um, I'm recording uh, not on Zoom. So uh, This is my first podcast that I'm recording ever on anything. That's true. You've recorded a couple podcasts, but you haven't released them. So, well, it's we, like it's like a basement <laughs> demo. Yeah, we recorded pra- practice rounds. <laughs> I, I don't know if you listen to very many podcasts, but if you listen to uh, a lot of popular podcasts, it's clear that they don't practice. So I think you're you're doing well. You're, you're ahead of the curve. <laughs> That's fair. We did read that something like most podcasts, the average is four episodes. So that's our goal is to release four, five episodes. So we've surpassed the, the average. You mean about like to get to f- to five? Yeah. And then quit? <laughs> no, we're not necessarily. That's just the, that's the goal, you know. We'll keep going if it's if it's if it's going well. But we want to do at least five. We you, but least... if you quit, you want to quit at five, not at four. <laughs> yes, or yeah. three, or two, or one. Yeah. High standards. Well, this is uh, uh number three. We do have some other guests lined up, but yeah, welcome to this song ruined my life. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about some music stuff, but I did uh want to ask you, Aster. Uh, I know you're an avid uh, 76ers fan. I am. And I know um, by the time this podcast is released, um, they will be the champions of basketball. <laughs> and I was wondering how you feel feel about that title that they've recently won. The champions of basketball. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, definitely off to a better start than we expected. But now with Kelly Oubre getting hit by a car in typical Sixers uh, fashion, we will see how things go and hope... Good, good that he's okay and, and out of the hospital, but uh, doesn't look good for him playing anytime soon. So we'll see. The Sixers curse continues. Yeah, what what other um, good like Sixers conspiracy theory stuff can you tell the listeners? Well, pretty much every good youngish player that comes has something terrible happen almost immediately upon arrival. <clears throat> You could look up Joel Embiid missing his first year, Ben Simmons missing his first year, and then essentially losing his mental health a few years later and collapsing. You could look at Markel Fultz develop, developing both mental and physical health issues immediately upon arrival and uh, then leaving and doing great elsewhere. Uh, and now Kelly Oubre. Well, we also had a player that had, had an unknown peanut allergy that almost died. Uh, <laughs> within his first few months with the Sixers, so yeah, we've got we've got quite the curse going. What can listeners do to lift the curse? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. I'm pretty sure that the curse stems from their mistreatment of Allen Iverson uh, in the early 2000s, and so. 
I would say anti-racist action <laughs> since it was, I believe, racism to be at the center of that. So, you know, ho hopefully any, any anti-racist uh, spells that one could, could throw the Sixers way. Uh, I think they also recently fired a staff member who spoke out in favor of uh, Palestine or said that their statement uh, was, was, was too one-sided about Hamas or something. So, um, so yeah, maybe if we can send enough anti-racist spells toward the Sixers and they can be stop being so shitty and white supremacist, then maybe that will lift the curse. Because that's what the NBA is about, right? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. That would be great. Some are trying, you know, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Very well. Well, we're here today to uh, talk about a particular band and a, partic a branch off from talking about a particular album, at least. Um, so for th this episode of the song, Ruin My Life, you chose a topic. And I'd like you to tell me a little bit uh, about that topic. So I'll ask you a question, Aster. That question is, who are Bright Eyes? Uh, Bright Eyes is a band that formed around, I think, 1999 or so, uh, centered around, around Connor Oberst. Um, and yeah, I would say that they were, they kind of brought emo to the masses. <laughs> um, we weren't doing anything, anything new exactly, but, um, yeah, they, they, they brought it to a, a lot more people than had been exposed to it before by folks like Elliot Smith. Yeah. And it's a very different kind of, it, I think, I think, which is fine, but I think a lot of people would, might be upset to hear it called emo. Hmm. Cause at the time in the nine, in, in late eighties and in the nineties, emo is kind of a particular kind of loud rock movement. So, uh, at least, uh, w when it was released, bright eyes was kind of, quiet whiny <laughs> folk music and um definitely experimented more sonically with more classic emo later but yeah i do think it was there's this emo folk thing that happened mm -hmm. um that definitely had some roots in elliot smith uh but while elliot smith was a kind of sort of this like singer songwriter i think sort of like the 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 brooding uh brooding but like hyper talented you yeah. know like he's a hyper talented guitarist and and uh, it, uh you, you know uh, i.e I, phoebe bridgers now or it's like mm -hmm. every every guitar every song is in a different guitar tuning and and uh whereas uh bright eyes was much more like uh much more sounded like a kid <laughs> kid trying to figure out how to play music in in sort of a yeah. So yeah, uh, that's that's true. interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because the emo that f that came shortly after Bright Eyes was not always the lot. Like then, you know, we got the Dashboard Confessional, brand new, mm -hmm. um, you know, and dig like falling apart into Simple Plan. <laughs> right. All the all the the big white. But all that was still like loud electric rock music. Like if you went to a show, it was a loud electric rock show. Not Dashboard Confessional. I went to a dashboard confession. That's true. So. That's true. But um, <laughs> I'm not proud of that, but I did. <laughs> whereas like Bright Eyes had like flute and Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there were some differences for sure, but yeah. I think for me a, a not small amount of it was that was that it wasn't loud. Uh yeah. I have a lot of my sensory stuff. Um I can get into, you know, really loud like noisy music now, but it took some work for me to get there because it kind of hurts at first. Um, and it, I can't take a lot of it even now. Like my migraines are sensitive to it. And like a lot of my chronic health stuff. I didn't know that at the time. I just knew, I just knew that I wasn't drawn to it because I was mm -hmm. or something. But then um, AFI was one of the first uh, like, you know, bands in that kind of realm that I, like some of their stuff I could listen to. And then I heard Fevers and Mirrors, or, or yeah, Fevers and Mirrors, and was like, oh my God, this is. <laughs> and maybe part of it was just like, I can listen to all of this. <laughs> it doesn't hurt me. <laughs> and it's like lyrically powerful. And um, yeah, it was just like connecting with a part of me that 
I hadn't felt connected to music before. And yeah, I want to touch on that in a second. Something you said earlier on made me think of the magnetic fields as well. Hmm, um, and Stephen Mayer, oh, do you know the magnetic fields? Uh, I don't think so. I might sometimes. I don't like, know names uh, very nothing well. Nothing matters so. when you're dancing. Oh yeah, I do. Know that. Book of yeah. Love and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. He has a hearing condition, hyperacusis. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, so I knew he had a hearing condition. I forgot the name. He has hyperacusis, um, which means like he can't be around as loud of music. Mm. And one reason, like they're like very kind of alt. You know, like he's queer, and their music was always. Their music was always a little divergent, but it was quiet because, like, even to play live, like, he can't have a bunch of monitors blasting oh, at him and stuff. So he can't even have, like, a, a big band behind him. So a lot of it is, like, ukulele or, like, acapella because of the nature of, like, his his disability. That's cool. And so that it, – it, yeah, I, I think that's a cool I, – I just thought that was a cool kind of – loop of of um who, who knows why any particular artist is making a certain kind of sound but yeah i mean it's interesting that you say though that fevers and fears was easy for you to uh listen to it's not their it's not their first release no but it's probably their first release to hit a wide wider audience their their first release um being let well they had they had a collection of like demos uh that connor recorded and in other bands while while in other bands and then letting out the happiness was kind of it's fine it's a fine album <laughs> and then fevers and mirrors comes out and fevers and mirrors i think is sort of it wasn't like a big break or anything but it was kind of like a big like wave in the indie scenes and yeah. i think a lot of people would would not characterize it as an easy to listen to album <laughs> even within like the bright eyes discography um i remember um Really, really, it was the first Bright Eyes album I was really into as well. It was the first secular music I listened to outside of being in like a, I was part of like a Christian punk group when I was in middle school. <laughs> like, like, like not like Reliant K, like, like 77, like hardcore punk. Uh, like, and we like put glue on our hair and did other silly things. So we had like a Bible study where we like, drew on ourselves i don't know it was it was we would like have like a little fight club at our bible study Hmm? i'm probably very loud uh a lot of the music we listened to was loud not all of it Hmm. but it was all it was all like Mm non-secular but not like christian rock mainstream it was like um it was all weird Mm -hmm. it was all really weird some of it was like weird folk punk some of it was but it was all like all it was all like alternative Christian, anti-establishment Christian music, <laughs> which there was a surprising amount of, and a lot of hardcore, so a lot of loud. Um, and then that whole scene got really into like Saddle Creek, like almost immediately, like after. I remember there was like a crossover period. It's probably like we made some friends who were like, I'm not just going to listen to secular music or uh, I'm not gonna, just going to listen to non-secular music. I'm going to listen to Taking Back Sunday or whatever. But <laughs> but I remember like one of my first experiences of hearing about Conor Oberst was at one of the last big like praise and worship things I went to with like my youth group, which like this was like a subgroup of the youth group. So we like were going to this youth group thing. And my friend who whose parents were still we were all kind of like transitioning out of like transitioning and being agnostic or whatever we became when we were fifteen. And um I remember on like an escalator my friend talking about like analyzing some of the lyrics from either this album or Lifted and about how like uh how this person thought that Conor Oberst was trying to find God <laughs> and needed to be saved. And then like the next thing I know, this person like no longer identifying as a Christian. And so um, I don't know how that argument worked out for them, but, but, or didn't, but um, so, but that group immediately got into fears and mirrors. And I remember like thinking 
I mean, just like you said that, that, oh, my parents are going to be so happy that I'm not listening to like ruckus hardcore. I'm listening to this other thing. And like everyone I showed it to hated it. (laughs) Everyone I showed, um, fevers and mirrors to really didn't like it. And I thought they were really, really pretty songs. Yeah, me too. Um, especially let's open up a track list so i remember what i'm talking about but especially <laughs> like something vague yeah and but something vague in the center of the world and halai halai were like three that i like listened to a lot yeah outside of the track order and i even once um like was at a choir camp over summer like an all-state choir camp where like you're supposed to learn the songs for all-state competition to like compete and so you go to like summer camp to do this it's like a big thing that choir kids do every year in texas and i like had my little speaker and cd player and i was like oh what do you think of this song and like, at the center of the world <laughs> and like the room was just like completely quiet <laughs> while i played that song and i think i had like a hand drum and i was like drumming along to it i'm like 14 or 15 <laughs> And no, everyone like either I, everyone identified that I had a problem, whether or not that was accurate, <laughs> but everyone was like, what's, are you okay mm-hmm. <laughs> that you're listening to this? Which I think is, uh, so it, it did kind of straddle, I think not being heavy enough to be heavy, but it also wasn't necessarily accessible. Yeah. It just didn't, didn't, didn't hurt me. It, it felt, yeah, it, the it definitely was the lyrics were weird and a lot of the lyrics in his later albums are a bit more like uh obviously relatable i would say uh where i would hear it and be like oh wow that like fits my life in this very specific way um but fevers and mirrors is still like pretty like poetic in the sense of nothing's really on the nose it's kind of unclear what a lot of it is about or not all, not all the songs but a lot of the songs are like pretty pretty vague <laughs> yeah um but i just like it was more of like a a felt uh resonance and it was definitely just like handed to me by a friend i wasn't in any music uh communities or anything but i had a friend who would burn me cds of music that he thought i would like and um that was right it was actually like i think yeah it was right around when he had given me an afi album but or maybe that came after actually but anyway it doesn't matter um and i was like immediately infatuated and only listened to that like that this is my relationship with music is that i don't know a ton of music because i find one thing (laughs) that i like and i just don't stop listening to it and bright eyes became that for years <laughs> and i did sprinkle in some other stuff you know between albums or whatever but whenever a new album was l- once lifted was released lifted was all i listened to um be- be- fewers and mirrors had already come out i think i i think i did like hear about them when, around 2000 though 2001 like very shortly after fevers and mirrors came out and I definitely felt very cool when they got big in like 2003, 2004, because I had been listening to them for years by then. <laughs> um, and Halai Halai, you named as a song you really liked, and that song was amazing live. But getting ahead of myself, that's like a few years later. Yeah. I guess it's relevant. You know, it's still the same album. My my freshman year of college, I went to my, my first Bright Eyes concert and just cried the entire time. And I definitely very vividly remember Halai Halai and Connor being very drunk on stage and kind of falling apart. <laughs> and I was falling apart. I had my first big breakup of my whole life earlier that week from a bo- with a boy who I fell in love with because he was singing Lover I Don't Have to Love uh, in his cover band that was a shitty band and he was not that cool of a person but I was still heartbroken probably because I'd like you know put put Connor <laughs> in this place is how you just described that boyfriend a way as a fan to potentially describe a, a fan relationship with Connor Oberst <laughs> possibly <laughs> Some sad singers, they just play tragic, you know? <laughs> it's the whole, the whole, yeah, I do, 
there's there's a whole uh again like with the Elliot Smith comparisons or or that sort of thing of of um which was also is is a diff- a different tragic story mm-hmm. um when when it doesn't end tragically, which is great, <laughs> but then you then have an artist who just kind of keeps going on mm-hmm. and is growing up and part of what was attractive about that artist is that y- you as a kid were really were maybe messed up mm-hmm. right yeah and this artist is maybe messed up not not necessarily that they're doing particularly shitty things or not doing particular shitty things but that they're not okay at all yeah and part of what is good about the art is that they're not okay at all mm-hmm. but the older you get being not okay at all is not very sustainable (laughs) yeah I mean I remember vividly in college at one point when I was very very depressed and very substance addicted and only listening to bright eyes and that was like around digital ash you know so there's like a lot of substance stuff especially and Mm -hmm. um, pretty overt ways although his stuff always was was pretty over about the at least the alcoholism I just kind of started talking about more drugs by then but Mm -hmm. um and being like, uh, this is clearly my identity. Like I've clearly like built part of my identity around being depressed and addicted, and that I needed that on some level when I was a teenager because of lots of things about my environment. But I, th- I think in college I was realizing like, okay, is this really what I want for the rest of my life though? <laughs> and like, okay, there's parts of this I do want to hold on to, like seeing the world in this different way than the people around me do, and. Um, you know, my like anti-establishment politics stemmed directly from my experiences with depression and, you know, dysfunction in terms of family of origin and stuff. And, um, so I I remember starting to figure out what to hold on to and what to let go of and, and being like, shit, can I keep listening to this music (laughs) all the time? Um, and I actually did have to take a little bit of a, a break. I, you, you, you are around me enough to know that I have not continued, uh, that break and that I do still (laughs) listen to Bright Eyes, particularly when I need to stay awake and sing, or when you need me to stop talking, you turn it on so that I'll (laughs) sing instead of talk. On a car ride, I want to specify that (laughs) that's when I need to drive and focus on driving. And it's also music I can enjoy and hone into while I drive. So it's not a rent. You always throw me in those moments. (laughs) 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 But yeah, yeah. the The concert was a was a was a big big moment, and yeah. It it felt like I was it felt like growing up with him in a way with the with when the albums were released but yeah then it did feel like there was well then everything came out too about once he put the libel suit on the person who came out saying that he had assaulted her I was like okay I need a break for sure now this isn't okay yeah so let's 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 talk about that a little bit yeah so it's I mean it's a a sad and confusing story um from what i understand this this person um had hung out or i don't know i it like depends on what what perspectives you get this person clearly had a lot of mental health struggles and a lot of uh, pre-existing trauma and came out online saying that um she'd been assaulted by connor and probably you know I, i assume was because you know why would you say that otherwise um uh, though there have been lots of attempts to disprove that she was like at the concert where she says that it happened after and, and all these different things. But um, I was less, I was upset by the allegations, but the allegations came out years after. And also it was all very confusing and it wasn't, there wasn't really anything provided on what it had, like th- nothing was really talked about in much detail um, from what she'd shared. And so I was, I was, very concerned and um, upset by the allegations, but what really upset me was the the, the libel suit. Like, you know, um, no matter what, even if this person is not okay and like not remembering things, you know, uh, 
as they were or what, what have you, it's still not okay to to put a libel suit on them to to silence them. That's that's not ever okay in my opinion. Yeah. So I was very very angry. Um, of course. Very very angry. Um, also multiple sexual assault survivor, so it was pretty triggering. Um, and. Yeah, I yeah just kind of I couldn't listen to him for a while, and then People's Key was released, and I was like, all right, I'll check this out again and see. And I didn't really, I never really got into People's Key, but I just kind of was like, I think I had enough distance by then that I could get back to my old favorites and and still uh, like get back to enjoying those. That yeah, and People's Key was before before all that. Hmm? People's Key came out before. Those allegations, I believe. Let me double check. Those allegations were a long time ago. Well, they were in 2013. People's Key came out in 2011. Hmm. Memory yeah. is weird, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I thought that it was, yeah, I don't know. Memory is weird. That's just, that really, just the timeline. Well, there must have been other allegations, because it was definitely before 2013 that I heard allegations. Yeah, the 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 ones you're referring to um, were, I believe, in 2013. Which this is just according to huh. our uh, producer Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> um, Maybe there was more secret or like more low key allegations earlier on or something. Because I, yeah, I remember it being definitely when I was younger than that. But I don't know. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, and then they did, they did, um, yeah, they, I do not think Bright Eyes was actively a, a band when that specific, those specific things were a conversation. Gotcha. Um, if I remember correctly, cause I think I was doing music journalism at the time and he was doing like, uh, solo albums and stuff. It doesn't really matter, but yeah, the allegations I'm talking about, I know, are about something that happened in around 2003, 2004. Yes, they were f they were from er early in the band, okay. early in the band's I know it fame. Was from when I went to the con my first concert, because I can remember being like, I they were. It's it says they came up, um, in December 2013, huh. and by July 2014, she had retracted the accusation. Uh, you know, Wikipedia does not acknowledge that it was a there was a libel suit, but I also do remember reading that. Um, so that's an interesting omission. Mm -hmm. uh, she retracted her statement, but there was a libel suit in between those two mm -hmm. things. <clears throat> so, um, if my memory is correct, and yours is, which um, we'll try our best to have accurate memories. <laughs> um, yeah, I do think it just plays into. You know, this seems to be a, a thing that happens a lot when uh, very depressed, addicted individuals get famous when they're 19. Mm -hmm. um, and I wish we could just have a rule against being <laughs> famous <laughs> when you're depressed and yeah. 19. Because I do, I do uh, even when situations are handled as, as best as they can be, they're never handled well because, uh, to, to, to be honest... It, I I doubt Connor remembers what happened That's, uh, yeah. based on being at several Bright Eyes shows around <laughs> that era as you were as well. Yeah, there's no way Connor remembers the second half of the concert that I was at. Like, yeah. no no way. He had to be carried off the stage. He just, like, passed out holding his guitar. Like, it was, yeah. Which is just to say, how, how can anyone even have a conversation about it? Not right. to say that, like, like... Whatever, whatever happened was probably fucked up, right? In some exactly. way, exactly. Um, and, and if he had just been like, "Yeah, I was, I was fucked up," and I don't know, <laughs> like if he had just admitted that, I would have been like, "Yeah, tracks," you know, like, and that could have been used as a way to talk about that and to be like, that you know, even have that be a a thing for young people, like you know, coming up in that now. Um, and I just. I, I'm really mad that he missed that. <laughs> that he missed that moment so so badly, and instead went the direction that he did. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, not not the way to handle that. Yep, and he was also basically brought up by the music industry and labels, mm -hmm. and and you know, so also makes sense. You know, absolutely, makes sense that that would be the response, but um, yeah. I think that that you know, I I don't want to spend too much time talking about something that we can't ever have facts on, right? Mm -hmm. 
but it kind of segues for me into a a a, a theme that's occurring reoccurring for me in this short time on this podcast so far is a political art <laughs> or the idea that like art can be apolitical mm-hmm. or and I know that you know like because Connor's music, writing of Bright Eyes was was usually largely apolitical and sometimes he'd sneak in like a reference to something but but you could you could always absorb most of the songs apolitically I mean when the president talks to God. Yes, he song. had that one song. <laughs> he had that one song. And he and played it, that whole concert that was uh, musicians coming out against the Iraq war. And he like went on long rambling rants about it at all of his shows for a while. The one I was at, he went on long rambling rants against the... Um, like. R- right, but he made, yeah. his, he made his money because most of his art didn't actually make a statement. That's fair. At, at a time when a lot, and it's the thing that a lot, a lot like most bands are doing at that time. Mm-hmm. I feel like, and he, you know, like he had Desaparecidos that was different. Yeah, I guess I considered Bright Eyes more political than by far most bands in that genre. Mm-hmm. There, there's like five or six like protest, like songs about protests and stuff too. And yeah, well, and there are songs ab- about protests, but they're like emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's a critique I have of one of, again, Elliot Smith, one of my favorite musicians, but a lot of his songs are about something intense, but you don't fucking know it unless you lis- listen to the lyrics and yeah. dissect them. And and you are, I think, like an avid lyric scholar. <laughs> I think as a person, I admire that you like tend to always really, 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 really know what a song is about mm-hmm. and have dug into it. Yeah. And like very, very lyrics first. I feel like a lot of Bright Eyes listeners weren't. That's fair. I just think it's interesting. I'm not trying to say he wasn't political at all, mm-hmm. but just the idea of that you can, that, that some of your music cannot be political. Yeah. The idea that you can talk about, that you can write like Lover I Don't Have to Love, mm-hmm. and that is just some sort of. Th- Right. Some sort of, you know, which is about drunken sex and making bad decisions. Yeah, it's not It's not a good sign for where I was at that I fell in love with someone singing that song. That's R- not a good sign. R- <laughs> right. And this, and again, <laughs> when you talk about the allegations, mm. this is the same with right. Brand New. This is the same with a bunch of other artists yeah. who, who, you know, seem to grow up to be very fine, capable people as adults. But mm. at that time when they're writing these songs and they're saying, this is just my art. Then years later, someone says, no, that's about something that happened to me. Right. Uh, and it could even be subconscious, but it's just, can you can you write about something? Like, I'm talking about Steve Albini. Like, can you write about a point of view mm-hmm. and sing a song about it, and you don't have any ownership of that point of view? Yeah. And for me, I think I land at, like, it's effect growing up with artists like that being the most influential artist on me growing up, it's become like, like Elliot Smith. No, you can't really sing about being addicted to drugs and there's not like propensity for you to be a heroin addict. Yeah. Like, like it's probably not like, mm-hmm. like probably whatever you're summoning and from within yourself is coming from within yourself. Right. And not without yourself. And so it's just something I think about a lot, not to say that this person should have done it this way or this mm-hmm. other person should have done it that way or anything like that. But whenever there's this pattern of, oh, you write a song about doing something shitty, but it's not about you. But then yeah. maybe maybe you did something kind of shitty in that way. And maybe it's not exact, but I just think like um, for me, it's like when should you – when you write a song like that, be like, I need to go to therapy about right. this before I write a song about it. Well, um, that's the thing with like that's the other thing with Connor that's like weird and interesting to me is that like he never claimed to not be writing about his own experiences. So it is like, how do you write love I don't have to love and admit that that is your lived experience at the time, and then have these allegations come out ten years later and be like, right. I know conclusively that didn't happen. And it's like. 
you didn't claim that you weren't a drug addict. You didn't claim that you weren't. Like, none of this was, you admitted you were writing about yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes he would complicate it in terms of like whether he actually had brothers who died and you know <laughs> shit like that like he would take things to metaphorical extremes but he never he never did the whole like oh no I'm just writing songs that are songs he was like no I'm processing my shit and like my thoughts about the world and like more yeah I mean, for a minute, there was a minute where all the mu musical things that I read were comparing him to Bob Dylan because mm. they were saying he was like the voice of a generation and was like a mix of personal and political and showed that it was all one, you know, that it was one and the same. And um, so, yeah, I don't know. And, and, and that he did like do that big concert and write a song explicitly about Bush being out of his mind and stuff like that. <laughs> um so yeah, I think that all made it extra disappointing for me, you know, that like they're brand new had already disappointed the shit out of me. Like with, you know, the, the stuff that you're describing exactly was applicable to brand new to me. Right. Um, and then I was like, ah, Connor, he's the exception. He fucks up, but he like acknowledges it. And then I was like, oh, okay, I guess not. But you're right. He was brought up like in the, by the music industry. So mm -hmm. it does make sense in that way. I doubt that there was anyone in his corner being like, just take accountability. Just acknowledge you, you were fucking up in your life and you don't know. Everyone knows you were fucking up in your life. Right. And that you were spiraling. Just admit that. I'm sure it was all just like no damage control, shut her down. Like don't let it get out. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm still mad he went with it. <laughs> he does seem to also have become like increasingly just um, like really guided by the industry and like agents and stuff like that over time when he was younger he seemed to to buck that more but yeah i think i mean i think there was like a post 90s moment like in the early 2000s where like labels were looking for artists that mm. more bucked that and saddle creek also is like a pretty independent label yes. um at, at the time and so i i I do think that, like, yeah, bucking the industry was part of the branding for all those artists, and it was yeah. a particularly appealing part of the branding to me. But, Same. but even like, you know, like on the disappear disappear Cito's album, he even it, which is before um before his big break, mm -hmm. but it was it was after Lifted. It's like between Lifted and I'm Wide Awake It's Morning. Ah, uh, yeah, and you know, on that album, he's sings about how he's a hypocrite and you can buy his records at like, um, Walmart. Yes. You know, so like, um, yes. you know, so they were an independent label, but they were, you could buy their records at Walmart. Yes. And this was before they had like, I'm wide awake. It's morning was there. And for me, I was just like, at least you're acknowledging that. At the like, time. at least yeah. you're acknowledging that hypocrisy. Like that was better than most people. Like, like half of Dejan Tindu was, was about how like, it isn't music exploitive because you feel like I'm your best friend or your boyfriend. Yes. And so it was refreshing because it acknowledged that, but then it's still happening. Right. Like it's still selling all these records and selling out these shows. And what is it like for two months, you know, whatever, whatever for two months rents for, you know, like, like hinting at the fact that their shows are very expensive yes. and that all these kids are going to pay for it. And like, but not changing that. Mm -hmm. Like, so that's what I mean by apolitical or like yeah. whatever statement you want to make, but like, it's definitely not DIY. It's definitely, it's definitely not art for the sake of art. It is definitely, it, you know, becomes your main job. Yeah. And I think it is very hard for what once music is your main job, it just gets very, tr I'm not saying no one has ever done it correctly. Sure. Well, probably no one has ever done it correctly, but I'm not saying no one has ever done it well. <laughs> um, and I have some people I consider good friends who most of what they do is tour. Uh, and they seem like pretty ethical people, but I think you have to be, it can be easy to not be. And I think when you're uh, 17, 18, 19 <laughs> and your career blows up, like you're probably making some pretty bad decisions yeah. and whose fault was it that the 19 year old is making bad decisions? <laughs> um, probably, I mean, not the 19 year old is it removed from that responsibility, yeah. but, but who is benefiting the most from that? And those people yeah. who are benefiting the most are never the ones who are 
being called out for doing anything bad. And, that, and so yeah. it's just, I think it's complicated because, yes, these people did shitty things, and they were also put in very shitty positions. So is there a way to kind of go back to the start of those and, mm. and not make more and more little punk kids who then become right. shitty people because shitty people told them what to do. Yeah. <laughs> no, when I, when I was like seeing him get carried off the stage, that was what I like part of like what I was thinking was like, what are these people thinking that are carrying off the stage and then carrying him to the next show tomorrow? And like, supplying him with alcohol to do it all over again you know because it was all over the news at that point that this was just happening all the time during this drama during this era of his shows and it was just seeing someone so clearly not okay i mean and i was infatuated with this and i was an alcoholic too i was 19 too i was in my first year of i was a freshman in college you know and um but still just this voice in the back of my head being like, he's not okay at all. Why isn't someone helping him? Like someone needs to help. But yeah. Yeah. And he never really seemed to have like a good close group of people, friends or like family or anything around him either that you hear with some musicians. So that was, yeah, I think that would, would have been good. One day I'll do a Dan- Daniel Johnston episode too, and that can play. Uh, that yeah. can play even more into oh, that phenomenon. Goodness gracious! Um, tragically, tragically. Yeah. Um, anyway, so well, we solved it. Um, <laughs> nothing will ever be bad again. And just admit it when you fuck up. Just admit that you made a mistake, or that you probably did, and your memory is too fucked from that time period to even know. And definitely don't use the law to silence people. That's not a good look. There we go. That's that's, <laughs> that's Aster's uh, statement. We're gonna Stand by it. we're gonna take a break, and we'll come back and uh, we'll play a game. Cool. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Song Ruined My Life. While music has the power to change worlds, this is ultimately a trite podcast about trite things. As such, I'd like to take a moment each episode to encourage any listeners to tune their ears into some of the hard work folks are doing to make our tough world a little gentler. The war in Gaza continues to wreak havoc on the lives of civilians and humanitarians alike. The United Nations General Assembly has adopted a major resolution on the Gaza crisis calling for an immediate, durable, and sustained humanitarian truce leading to a cessation of hostilities. Here are a couple independent organizations that could use your support. Eye on Palestine creates freelance journalism and profit-free activism and is a good source of information. Just a warning that the content can be understandably graphic. You can find them on Instagram, Facebook, X, Telegram, and Threads by searching I on Palestine, that's E-Y-E on Palestine. And you can support them at patreon.com slash I on Palestine. Sulala Animal Rescue is an organization in the Gaza Strip that helps stray animals. You can find them on Instagram with the handle at Sulala Animal Rescue, that's S-U-L-A-L-A, Sulala. And you can support them on PayPal with the handle at Help Street Animals. Please take a moment to pause this podcast and give these organizations a quick follow. And maybe even throw them a buck. And we're back. Hi, Esther. Hello. Are you ready to play a game? Yeah. The game is called Connor Says. <laughs> what? And uh, you need to guess if um, the quote I read is from Connor Oberst or Sarah Connor from the Terminator <laughs> So the first one is um, there is no fate but what we make for ourselves. That's the other one, not Connor Oberst. Okay, you gotta say Connor Oberst or Sarah Connor. Sarah Connor. Okay. Do you want to know as you? I want to know. Them? I'm like, okay. am I right or not? That's Sarah Connor. Okay. All right. There's a lot of optimism in changing scenery and seeing what's down the road. Hmm. I could see Connor saying that when he's doing all right. Connor Oberst? Yes, that's Connor Oberst. Okay. Hmm. 
I think in a lot of ways, unconditional love is a myth. Mm. I wish I knew more about Sarah Connor right now. She's pretty deep. (laughs) I'm going to say Sarah Connor. That was Connor Oberst. I shouldn't. It's like something he would definitely say. I just thought you were trying to trick me. Well, the whole game is trying to trick you. (laughs) Um... I thought that Connor wanted to believe too much in unconditional love to say it. That was my that was my other reasoning. The unknown future rolls towards us. I face it for the first time with a sense of hope. That's Sarah Connor. That's not, that's not Connor Overs. Don't confuse close with happy. Hmm. Connor Overs. That's Sarah Connor. Ah. There's a very fine line between one's personal reality and another person's fantasy. Connor Oberst. Yes. And we all have weak moments, moments where we lose faith, but it's our flaws, our weakness that make us human. Sarah Connor. That was Sarah Connor. I got way better than 50-50. I feel good about that. Yeah. You're a hero. (laughs) I I, I couldn't do that well with anyone other than Connor Oberst, I think. (laughs) I feel more equipped to know what he would say than almost anyone I've never met. (laughs) All right. Okay. So how was your experience with Connor Says? I liked it. It was fun. Okay. You want to play for two more hours? (laughs) Uh, maybe if like other people weren't listening to me, but, uh, I think I, it would build some anxiety for me after that long of knowing other people could hear it. Well, I don't want to find any more quotes, so we're going to stop. Um, also I could only find so many quotes by (laughs) Connor (laughs) Oberst and Sarah Connor. It sounded (laughs) interchangeable, but, um, that was impressive. impressive. Yeah. Well, they're, they're both bleak at their heart. So especially if you, um, if if you uh, find the ones where Connor's not talking about music and Sarah's not talking about uh, robots, <laughs> there's a couple where she says robots, and that <laughs> that's a giveaway. <laughs> <sighs> All right, well, Aster, thanks for being with me here today. Yeah, thanks and for with, having me with our listeners who are here watching us in my bedroom. <laughs> I was like, I hope they're not watching us. <laughs> um, you know, some light topics, some heavy topics uh, today. I think that Bright Eyes, as with many popular artists, comes with both. Um, anything that you kind of want to end on? If you like Connor and you want to listen, if you like Bright Eyes or Connor Oberst and you want to listen to someone who's not a white dude, um, Nicole Dollinganger is really lovely and is very pleasant to has some of the most pleasant and instrumental feel of things with some of the most hard-hitting brutal visceral (laughs) lyrics that i've ever heard so just a recommendation if you liked that conroe burst sounds like a dying baby calf (laughs) then then you won't like (laughs) but yes in terms of in terms of uh uh, which I think Phoebe Bridgers falls in this category too of like be, be, being just a much more competent version from the beat of just like, oh yeah, yeah this person is just very competent and doing exactly, which the thing is uh, uh, Bright Eyes was not very competent at the beginning. No. And that's part part of the appeal is seeing someone flubber through. I feel like um, the new version is better. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but if but if what you were attached to is the harshness, yeah, um, the harshness that won't the be lyrics there. Of the, I don't yes. know if I've ever heard as harsh of lyrics as Nicole Dollinger. She has really honestly. cutting lyrics. Like even with some of the heaviest music, like this is if you listen to the lyric. I once played it for somebody who didn't listen to the lyrics, and they're like, "I think I'm just gonna have this as my like go to sleep music because it's so pleasant." And then they tried it, and they were actually listening to the lyrics, and they were like, "What the hell?" This is brutal. She also wears a gimp mask. Uh, is that her wearing a gimp mask? Somebody's so. wearing a gimp mask. I think uh, so. On probably her most 
like widely known album definitely includes queerness kink yeah uh, you know lots of and heavy depression trauma abuse vibes um yeah not just vibes explicit right. references yeah and 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 esther uh uh what's going on with you is there anything you you want you want to share <laughs> Well, your I said life. I was practicing for for a podcast. Hopefully, we will be uh, recording uh, an actual episode soon. We don't. We have not settled on a name, but it might be disabling or disabled deviants. So we'll see. Maybe Burn can uh, let y'all know if that if that comes through. I will. I will make an announcement. She's the editor, so she'll definitely on every know. podcast. <laughs> Every three minutes, I'll make an announcement. Turn also, off, turn off this podcast. Turn on. And if you don't know what's happening in Palestine enough, you should, you should, because it's it's a genocide and it's happening right now and it's very bad. All right. We'll end on that lovely upbeat note. And uh, I'll just refer back to the uh, uh, announcement a little bit earlier. For some reason, you skipped it with some um, uh, resources and platforms you can uh, support if that is an issue you are hoping to support. Let me just say very clearly, from the river to the sea, may Palestine be free. Thanks, Esther. Thanks for listening to this episode of This Song Ruined My Life. It was produced by me, Burn Bridges. You can follow us uh, with the little subscribe button. You can like us. Uh, you can let us know we're doing a good job by doing all that. And by just listening over and over and over and over and over and over again. But right now it's the end of the podcast. So you don't need to listen to this podcast anymore. Because there's nothing else coming up. There's no other podcast at the end of this podcast. Except for the podcast that will autoplay after this podcast. So you can go ahead and turn it off right now. Because there's no more podcasts. Thank you. Have a nice whatever. I thought there was going to be an actual break. It was just like a pretend break. <laughs> Aster, you're not supposed to tell them that. That's what they all do. That's what all that's what the, the big they are doing in the podcasting world. <laughs> <laughs>